This is DeRay Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 79. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. Hey, what's up? Back for another installment, another episode of the Before the Millions podcast. And as usual, I'm your host, DeRay Olalaye. On today's episode, we have a 10-year veteran real estate investor, Mrs. Stephanie Wankel. Today's not one of those glitz and and glamour episodes. I mean, when we think about real estate investing, the way we talk about it, we often throw out a lot of loose terminology. And sometimes this terminology gets misconstrued. So one of the words that kind of sticks out in my head is passive. What does passive actually mean? How passive is passive? And is passive the same for everybody? Or is it subjective? And I think about creating passive income and more specifically using real estate as that vehicle for your passive income. And there are many different avenues to get into real estate. Some active, some passive, some appear to be passive, but other people would consider active. I mean, everybody's opinion is different. Now, I will say that landlording, which is what we're talking about on today's episode, you would have probably most real estate investors, maybe 70 to 80% of real estate investors say that landlording is not, it's not a passive, it's not a passive thing. And then you would have a good, a good amount, maybe 20 to 30% of people saying, no, I mean, it's very passive. And depending on how you structure your business and your investments, it can be passive. Now there's another question in there. Should it be passive? Should you be so hands off in your business to where you're just collecting a check. Is that how you truly stay wealthy? There's so many questions in here, right? But you know what we want to focus on today is the fact that landlording is not quote unquote passive. There are other real estate vehicles out there that will allow you to create, in the general sense, what we like to call passive income. Even as a landlord, hiring what we like to call a property manager will have your role a little bit, maybe even a lot of bit more passive, depending on how experienced your property manager is. You guys have heard from many different investors. One pops out in my head right now, Mr. Billy Kills. I can't remember what episode he's on, but he doesn't live in this country. He doesn't live in the US and he doesn't really visit all that often, but he's an active real estate investor and all of his investments are in the US. And he's probably buying an investment right now. So he's an active investor making active income. 
Some people may say he's an active investor making passive income. It's all on how you look at it. The fact that most people jump into real estate investing and they go straight, the ones that actually jump into real estate investing, not any of the other byproducts of investing, but actually jump into investing, most people go straight into landlording. And you'll often get people with a very, very bad experience. You know, you'll see people that get that bad experience and they're like, real estate investing is the worst thing ever. And these are the people that most most of us will hear from. Don't buy real estate. Don't become a landlord. 2 a.m. tenant calls, sinks, plumbing issues, <laughs> vandalism, just everything, right? You hear all the horror stories. And because you hear those stories, you're just like, I mean, I'm not doing that. That's not, that doesn't even sound like it's worth it, right? And then you have those, those other people who actually still have those same experiences and they get into real estate investing and their first foyer into that is landlording. And they're just like, man, this is crazy terrible, but this is where I want to be. And I know that this is not the end all be all. And I'm going to learn from this. And maybe this is my mistake because I chose a wrong market or the wrong asset class, or, or maybe I'm going to discover that I don't want to be a landlord, but I do want to be an investor. So what can I do? I can hire a property manager. I can change my business model. I can become a passive investor in somebody else's deals. I can buy turnkey property that already has all this stuff in place. I mean, there's so many other options, right? I personally like the fact that when you come in as a landlord, you get that landlording experience. And I think that's invaluable. I think experience is priceless. I personally do not see myself as a landlord. Do I still manage some of my units? Yes. But I've learned over the years that that's not what I want to be doing. And I'm able to speak to you guys you know, with hindsight. And I'm just like, man, I wouldn't have done things differently. But how I would do things now with the new knowledge that I've gained is what I'm telling you guys. It's what we're talking about today. So we're going to talk about some horror stories. I mean, I, I have a few. I know you guys remember back a few months ago, I talked about the fact that a few of my units got robbed. I mean, furniture, TVs, printers, electronics, accessories, everything just gone. And that same week I had property that was vandalized. I mean, graffiti on the fence and just terrible, right? And you hear these stories and you're just like, man, like I don't want to deal with that. That is crazy. And what makes what makes this worse is that I had management in place. So I get a call from my property manager thinking that he is taking care of the situation and has taken care of the situation. And I come to find out, guys, here's another really, really good secret. Always, always speak to the cleaning ladies or the cleaning crews. Always speak to the cleaning crews. Always create that rapport, build a relationship with them. They're going to tell you everything going on. And that's what happened. You know, after this whole big ordeal, I talked to the cleaning crew and she was just like, you know, she was crying to me. She was like, DeRay, the property, I was about to say his name. I don't want to say his name, but the property manager, he, um, he's so mean and he does this and he does that. And he's never here and blah, 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 blah. She would, she told me everything guys, everything. And my, I mean, my jaw was dropped. You know, the police report that I thought he filed and he was, you know, keeping me in the loop on. That report was filed by my cleaning lady. He had never not once visited the property during the whole ordeal. And he had the cleaning lady report to the property, file a police report. She doesn't speak. She barely speaks any English, by the way, guys. So I'm on the phone with her daughter and she's translating for me what her her mom is saying. I mean, and the fact that it could have been way worse. 
who knows what type of people stolen from the property. I mean, tenants could have been in danger, right? So who knows how bad it could have really escalated. And you think about these stories and these situations that you hear myself and a lot of the guests that come on the show talk about, and you're just like, man, like, is it even worth it? Again, guys, hindsight is 2020. And I'm the type of person I never have regrets. Like, I'll take a situation like that and I'll be like, hmm, that's interesting. What's the positive here? What can I learn from this? And although there's so much learning that I can do from this situation that I have done from this situation, I mean, the, the what really excites me is the fact that I get to help other people pick, pick out better property managers. I get to help other people put fail safes in their plans so that things like this don't happen. I get to help other people pick out the right insurance so that they get their money back or their equipment back immediately. I get to help other people with the nuances of a property manager and landlord relationship and how that should go and what type of documents should be in place to make sure that your property is well looked after. I mean, there's so much value there, right? And this is not value for myself. This is the value for everybody that I'm able to help because of my one situation. So something that may be worth it for one person may not be worth it for another person because another person is like, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. And then they go back and tell their friends that real estate is terrible. I mean, there's risk in everything, guys. And sometimes that's the cost of doing business. Things are not always going to go right. If they did, there wouldn't be any, any counterbalance to even tap you on the shoulder every once in a while and let you know that your good moments, your great times in life are really all that great and that you should enjoy them to the fullest because there's no comparison. I've come close to evicting tenants multiple times, multiple times, guys. And the person we have on the show, Stephanie, she's evicted so many tenants and she lives in a tenant-friendly state. And that's not good <laughs> for this scenario. For me, as close as I've come to evicting tenants, the fact that I live in a landlord-friendly state, guys, let me give you guys a, a quick tip in Texas and other landlord-friendly states. It doesn't matter what happens. If your tenant has not paid rent, you know, in a lot of states, when you go to court with tenants, they're going to have their stories. They're going to be like, hey, my landlord hasn't fixed this in two months and I've been asking him or I've been asking her and, and I've been blowing up their phone and, you know, this is not working and I put in an order for this and, you know, uh, this over here is just terrible. I mean, they can go on and they can really, they can really lay it on thick and, or it could even be something personal. Like my mom is, you know, in the hospital and she just got, can't, I mean, it could be whatever it is. Right. And depending on how bad it is, how serious it is, how, how the judge wants to favor, I mean, you may not actually be able to evict that tenant. And that is a scary thought for a landlord, right? In Texas, however, it doesn't matter what their situation is. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what's actually going on. If they have no way to prove that they've paid rent when rent was due, they are being evicted. So, you know, they often have this announcement like, hey, to all of the tenants who are here in eviction court, if you have not if you are not current on rent, meaning you have no way to prove that you've paid rent, you will not win the judgment. You will not. So you might as well leave now. And you see all the tenants looking around and you would think maybe a few of them would leave. I mean, nobody leaves, <laughs> right? Like every time nobody leaves. And then one by one, they go and plead their case. They say, hey, this is what's going on. I just got a divorce. 
I haven't received my child support payment this month, whatever it is. I'm not saying, I'm not personally saying these things are not valid, by the way, guys. I'm just telling you guys how things work in Texas. But they get done with their long story that lasts five, 10 minutes. And at the end of it, the judge is going to ask, well, do you have a way to show that you've made your rent payment for the month or for last month or whenever it is? And if they don't, they haven't, then that tenant is getting evicted. No questions asked. Every single scenario. I mean, everybody would think that they have their own special case. Like, no, like that's why everybody stays, right? I mean, you you hear the announcement. You're just like, okay, well, I'm going to stay because I know my scenario is different. It doesn't matter. Again, guys, not all states are like this. So know your landlord and tenant laws. Very important. There are actual professional tenants out there. And that is a, that is a coined phrase, by the way. Professional tenants who know how to work the system in tenant-friendly states. And they can squat, meaning they can stay on your property and not pay rent for two months, for three months, for six months. I've seen cases draw out as long as a year. It's a scary thought and a scary situation to be in. So know your landlord-tenant laws. Let's get to the show. Let's talk to Stephanie about some of her woes in this arena and talk about her solution and how she's been able to not only stay in the real estate game, but thrive in the real estate game and create what she likes to call passive income. DeRay's Tip of the Week. In 2017, especially when we first launched the podcast, I did shout outs, iTunes shout outs, every single episode. And these were for the people that were leaving reviews in iTunes. Now, in 2018, I may have done that maybe once, twice, or maybe three times. And I got some shout outs to do, man. Let's let's do shout outs for tip of the week. So so really quick, if you haven't already left a review in iTunes, go do that now. And this applies to Android users as well. So whatever app you are using, whether that's Pocket Cast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, I don't think we're on SoundCloud. There's like 50 of them that we get aggregated on. So you're on if you're on any of those, I want you to go ahead and leave a review. This is the best way that you can pour into this community, help us reach more people. Because what happens when you leave a review, iTunes and these other platforms, they say, hmm, okay, people actually enjoy the show. Who would have thunk it? Let's put it in front of more people because they want people to stay in their apps, right? They want people to enjoy what it is that people are consuming. So they have to, this is the feedback that they get to know that, hey, this is good stuff. So if you haven't already, please leave us a review on iTunes and be as honest as possible. Not solicitating five-star reviews, although that would be amazing, but leave us a review. So shout out to Sir Lumi, all the way from Nigeria. Two thumbs up. Stormed upon your podcast. Find it so amazing. Full of great insight. Keep up the good work. Shout out to Drusifer Jones. You need to listen to this show. A great host who's knowledgeable and entertaining. Shout out to Rebel Rome. The title of her review is Learn You, like the capital letter U, as in maybe university. So Learn University, which is what she's categorizing this podcast as. I love it. I've learned some great tricks for financial freedom. Shout out to Sayorsi Sky. DeRay doesn't just interview and take from his guests. He also provides great insights and obviously knows what he should say and do to help his audience. It's an amazing podcast where you know everything you learn can be used in whatever it is that you want to do in life. 
Hey, I love that one. That's beautiful. Shout out to Tom Antion from the United States. Listen to Omar Khan talking about money isn't everything and multifamily real estate units. Also, this show is perfect. DeRay talks extensively about getting away from working for others. He's darn right about that. Shout out to I've Got Amnesia. Money isn't everything. Man, everybody really loved that episode. That money isn't everything episode with Omar Khan. You guys need to check that episode out. This is a great podcast. I like the perspective on money and the message. Shout out to Crystal7174, a compelling podcast that will shift your mindset. As someone who has tried to succeed as an entrepreneur for more decades than I'd like to admit, I found the advice and interviews on the Before the Millions podcast compelling. I especially enjoyed episode 73, Money Isn't... Everybody literally loves this episode. I have to go back and listen to it myself. I especially enjoyed episode 73, Money Isn't Everything with Omar Khan. It wasn't until recently that I found my groove and what sets my soul on fire. How important is money in this journey? What about time? Is there such thing as work-life balance? This episode has helped shift my mindset. It was raw, honest, and deeply, deeply, I said deeply with the extra emphasis because, I mean, she did it with the extra emphasis. She capitalized the second deeply, so I had to put the deeply in there. Anyways, okay, so it was raw, honest, and deeply, deeply resonating. DeRay is a fantastic host who keeps you engaged and hooked on every word. Highly recommended. Okay, that that's my favorite. I, I, said a, I said I had a favorite before, but this one is now my favorite. Okay, moving on. Shout out to Chelsea Merrow. Inspirational and informative. Not only did I learn a few things, I also feel motivated and inspired. The advice given is aimed at entrepreneurial real estate investing, but it can also be applicable in all aspects of life, no matter what field you're in. Awesome. Shout out to Nickname is Taken. Great info with the great production value. I haven't even, I mean, that's the title. I haven't read the actual review yet, but the fact that he said the production is great or she said, I don't know, Nickname is Taken. This is awesome. This podcast sounds great. Very easy on the ears, making for a pleasant listen. There are fascinating interviews on growing wealth and very motivational messages behind them as well. Love the positivity surrounding crafting your own success story. Highly recommended. Highly recommended podcast for entrepreneurs. Shout out to Bowden1818, a fantastic resource for success in wealth. This is an extremely informative podcast that I recommend everyone interested in making wealth should listen to. Without haste, the episode that I listened to featured Ryan G. Wright, a real estate entrepreneur who goes into great detail about hard money lending, along with the good and the bad of that source. DeRay's skills as an interviewer and host were impressive. You can feel the confidence that he knows what he's talking about. You want to be successful, then show up, show up on time, show up prepared, and listen to the BTM show. Man, you guys could be my copywriters, I swear. (laughs) Shout out to On The Edge I Am. Great show for investors and entrepreneurs. First off, this show is geared towards those ready to take the leap into real estate investing. DeRay is a great host with a great voice, calm and soothing, yet with a sense of urgency that is motivating. Okay. The episodes are broken down thematically, so you can find a topic that pertains to you specifically. Tons of information with real-world applicability. 
check out the show if you're considering your investment options. Yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Dizzy2389. Great insights. Really enjoyable. Easy listen and solid sound quality. Any entrepreneur can find resourceful information by listening to this pod. Tons of high quality guests too, and the episodes are essentially timeless. Last but not least, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this name, it's J-W-Y-N-T, so shout out to Joint? I don't know. Okay. This is a great show. The host is very informative, and the information that he is presenting is also accurate. If you're an entrepreneur, you can definitely take notes or be reassured of what you've heard in the past. The host plants the seeds and more or less leaves you with the tools to maintain the garden. Great show. Okay, guys. So if you haven't already left a review, please go to your iTunes directory or whatever podcasting app that you're using. If you're on the computer, visit beforethemains.com. However, you're hearing my voice, leave a review. And if you think that you're using one of those apps that I haven't heard of yet, leave a review, screenshot it to me, and I will post it on my social media. And of course, give you a shout out on the podcast. So there you have it. If you haven't already left a review for us, guys, go ahead and go to iTunes or your favorite podcasting directory and search for Before the Millions and leave us a review today. I'll be looking out for those and I'll be doing shout outs. Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. On today's show, we are welcoming Mrs. Stephanie Wankel. Now, Stephanie's going to tell us a ton about her tenant eviction horror stories. I just want to kind of give you guys a quick glimpse and then we'll kind of jump right in. But how's it going? Things are great. Things are going great. And today's great. Nice and sunny. All things are good. I've told the listeners a little bit about your story and a little bit about your background, but I want us to take it in the time machine. I want us to kind of just talk about the inception of your entrepreneurial mind. So maybe take it back a little bit further before that and talk about what you were up to right before the inception and right before you thought that you wanted to start your own business. You wanted to become a real estate investor. You wanted to become an entrepreneur. What were you doing at the time? I know it has something to do with software, but take us back. Okay, sure. So I have been in product development for over two decades and primarily worked in the corporate environment. But I always had a desire and a bug to be an entrepreneur. I subscribed to Entrepreneur Magazine, and this is kind of before all of this availability on the internet, but I just had a desire. I looked into all kinds of things, franchising, what could I do starting my own business, all sorts of things. And also in my corporate world, in the software industry, software development industry, I was able to kind of pick opportunities that led me to be kind of this intrapreneur, meaning I would be on new teams, new projects, new products. So I, within the corporate environment, I could do a lot of innovation, a lot of building my own teams, a lot of the same things that an entrepreneur could do. And then I kind of fell into real estate investing about 10 years ago. And throughout the past 10 years have kind of developed that and made that into my business. So I still do work in the corporate environment, but I also am very, very focused and passionate about real estate investing. I love that. So you are, you have a corporate job in software by day and you're a superhero by night. Is that correct? 
Correct. <laughs> so let's talk about time management really quick, because that's the yeah. first thing that I kind of think about is how you're able to kind of juggle both of those things. And I know that there are other things in your life, there are hobbies and maybe family that, that surround you as well. How are you kind of able to, I guess, put everything in and, you know, have enough time for everything and still feel like you're, you're definitely contributing or participating in everything that you, that you look to do? Yeah. So the key, I think, to time management, is all about priority. So what are, I'm really, really disciplined about prioritizing every aspect of my life. So there's things in my corporate job that I prioritize where I only focus on those big kind of big wins. And I take the same approach in my business. What are, every morning I decide what are the three things today that I'm going to do that's going to move my business forward. That way I don't get hung up on a lot of kind of shiny objects. For example, social media, if you're doing a Facebook page or Facebook post, it's easy to kind of get, oh, I want this purple, I want this green and get caught up in the doing of it where I try to be very focused on doing the things that are going to push me forward and ultimately make my business money. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, starting out, Stephanie, I mean, you just had a full-time job in the very beginning. You were not a real estate investor and you thought about and you approached and you researched so many different ideas. What kind of got you to say, hey, this real estate thing seems like the best option out of all these things that I've been researching. I'm going to go down this path. And then what, what did you initially do in the real estate space? Sure. So it didn't, it didn't quite work out that way as far as intentional, I'm going to jump into real estate as a business. What happened was my grandmother was a real estate investor. She had several duplexes in a college town and I had kind of watched her manage those properties. And somehow I didn't realize that then, but I was like the seed was growing about how real estate investing can kind of change your life basically. And then she passed away and left a little bit of proceeds to everyone in the family from her real estate investment business. And I felt really convicted that I needed to invest in real estate with that, with that kind of inheritance. And so yeah, I had no business doing this. I really didn't know about real estate investing. I was newly divorced. I was a single mom with small children. Like I should have probably used that money for other things, but I felt really strongly that I needed to do that. And this was in 2008 when the market was like collapsing. I really did not talk about not overthinking it. I didn't really think about it. And at that point I had kind of randomly met up with a wholesaler and found out about a, an opportunity with a rental property. There was a tenant in place. And so I purchased that rental property. And then about six months later, took out the initial like down payment investment and put that towards two other rental properties. So about, you know, in a blink of an eye, I was now a landlord, which is basically another job. So I was, I was taking on and learning all of these screening tenants and all of those things. Um, and at the time there weren't, at least I didn't know about all of the great resources that are out there. So I was just kind of trial and error, but that's how I, how I jumped into real estate investing. 
let's maybe talk about one of those earlier, earlier, earlier failures that you maybe went through through as you were kind of, you know, just unveiling through this process. And you it sounds like you've you even come to some some conclusions, even being a landlord, that some things that you didn't particularly like about what you were doing, you you mentioned that it's another job. And I wanna talk kind of talk about some of the earlier failures that you had that maybe had you thinking that, okay, well, this is good, but there's something better coming along. Kind of talk about that really quick. Yeah. So like I had mentioned, I wasn't well educated on the topic and definitely did, you know, some back then, some of the, and probably still now, some of the key things are be in a neighborhood that you're familiar with, be in a neighborhood that, you know, you're comfortable screening tenants and going to. And several of my properties were in what you would consider like D markets. So with that, you can get a lot of cash flow, but you also have tenants that may be turnover more quickly. You have, you know, maybe harder maintenance issues. And what I have subsequently learned, which, you know, people tell you all the time is that a lot of times in those markets that can just be a lot of heavy lifting on the landlord side. And I never, I didn't know about property managers, but I just really couldn't hack the idea of giving 10% to someone else. So I, I struggled for eight years managing those three properties on my own. A lot of evictions, a lot of, which are very, in my state, the laws are very much toward tenants. So there's a lot of tricky things that can happen in an eviction, but a lot of screening. Can you you walk us through one of those, one of those evictions and maybe one of those, just to highlight that for our listeners? Sure. Unfortunately, I've been through several, but in a, in a state that is not landlord friendly, like Colorado, you, the tenant, if they know anything about the laws or the system, they can actually stay in your property for an extended period of time, like up to a year, if not longer. And the process is very, very dictated. You have to go through this process of giving them a three-day notice that you have to post on their door. You have to prove that you gave it and the time that you gave it. And then in the, then they don't move out, you have to start the court proceedings, which means you have to get a hearing. You have to go to a judge. And before before you can even get the tenant out, you have to do all of those things to then be able to get a sheriff to go with you to the property to get the tenant out. And you have to be very cautious. You can't touch any of their belongings. You can't put theirs, even if they haven't paid rent in like six months, you can't put their belongings anywhere. You can't, you can't, even if they have left, you have to do all of this due diligence uh, or could be open to being sued. So it's very, very tricky, which is why uh, amongst other things, it's so important to have, you know, qualify and screen your tenants because that process is, as you can imagine, very adversarial and you you don't want to be in the business of kicking people out of their home. It's just really rough to kind of go through that. Yeah, for sure. And I think about the fact that there's a vast difference between uh, tenant-friendly states and, you know, landlord-friendly states. And I live in Texas. I live in a landlord-friendly state. And, you know, you talk about the process that you go through. And, I mean, we don't have to go through, I mean, yeah. even a, a, a tenth of that. And I want to talk about maybe the emotional roller coaster that that maybe had on you, the, 
psychological effect that, that had on you as an early real estate investor and how you were able to kind of push through? Was it an effort on your own? Did you have an accountability partner? Was it, was there a system? Was there a group? Was there somebody around the, like, Hey, like Stephanie, this is okay. Like this is what happens. And you know, you go through this and you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have good things. You're going to have bad things. No, I had no one. I had no one that I knew of that was doing this. I I didn't know anything. And it was it was traumatic. People are not happy when you're kicking them out. And so it it's extremely adversarial. It even could be scary at times. And I just pushed through it. And yeah, after an eviction, you know, you're like, I'm done with this. I'm done. But at the time, the market wasn't good when I bought that. Like the whole idea was to buy low, right? And kind of ride it out. So I was, in a sense, I had to, I had to push through. And I just learned things. I learned how important screening tenants was. And I still, even learning some of these things, I still made decisions that I, you know, hindsight wouldn't have made and just learned things. And kind of the key was definitely pushing through and not quitting. And, and the evictions were really bad when they were happening, but overall, the, you know, overall in the life of a year of managing the property, you know, there's 10% that is horrible. The 90% is easy. You're just collecting checks. So if you can make it through the 10%, and it's not just eviction, sometimes tenants leave and they destroy your place. And when that first happens to you, like emotionally, you're like, oh my gosh, they ruined it. And you're emotionally really devastated. And and quickly learn that, you know, everything can be fixed, literally everything down to the studs and really not, you're thinking it's the end of the world. This is going to be thousands of dollars. It's, it really isn't ever that bad. So the thing I learned from that is you, there's, I mean, they can burn your house down and you can figure something out. And emotionally, I don't even, you know, you just stop going through the ups and downs. You're like, okay, you go in there and you're like, oh, wow this is interesting. And you just do what you got to do. I would say those were big learnings from those early days. Yeah, I love it. And so let me ask you this, through all the bad tenants, through all the squatters, through all the evictions, through all of the people just trashing the place before they left, Stephanie, is it worth it? It is a thousand times worth it. Mostly because you, me, as you can control those things to some extent. You can qualify tenants. One of the most important things I learned is that this is your business. It's your business. So treat it like a business. I didn't do that for a lot of years. I, you know, I would get calls, my sad story, I'm in the hospital and I would go, okay. And that would go on. And then it would lead to this. This is a business. Just, you don't have to be mean. You just say, oh, that's a bummer. Your lease says you need to pay by the fist. Shoot, we're going to have to start charging you. Like you're a business and you have to treat it as such. And when you look at it that way, it kind of changes your reference and you're no, you're no longer emotionally attached and you can do what you need to do to manage your business and manage it well. It's kind of just how you look at it and your mindset of treating it like a business instead of you're not there to help people. You can be nice, you can be gracious, but this is 
actually a, a thriving business that you just, you make an agreement, they make an agreement and you got to treat it like that. Got it. Got it. Got it. So Stephanie, kind of put a bookmark here because we're going to come right back to this, but I want to walk to present day. I want to talk about what, what in totality your business looks like and what it comprises of. And I know that you mentioned earlier that, you know, landlording is a job and I don't think you landlord anymore. So maybe kind of talk about what your business looks like today and how you've progressed through this, through this journey, landlording and where you are now. Sure. Well, the, one of the great upsides of these initial three properties and um, landlording them and learning that that's not passive income, right? It truly isn't. I'm getting all the benefits of real estate as far as you've got tenants paying your mortgage and paying the expenses. So you've got, I had cash flow coming in. I had all the great tax benefits that, that real estate affords you and a great a large amount of appreciation. From 2008, eight years later, the market goes up and then I'm sitting on a nice a nice bit of capital. And what happened was after eight years of landlording, I was, I was landlord fatigued. And what a lot of, of people, a good strategy to buying real estate is finding fatigued landlords because <laughs> you can get a deal, right? And so I had someone come to me and ask, you know, ask if I was in the market of selling those two properties that were so challenging for me. And because I was so fatigued, I had realized, wow, they, have significant appreciation. I could get out of this business. Instead of thinking I should have hired a property manager and I could have done a lot of different things. But what I ended up doing was taking the appreciation from those three properties and 1031ing them into other other properties that were different to manage. So I, I 1031 exchanged into a VRBO in a ski resort here in Colorado. I exchanged into a, a suburban house that was closer and easier for me to manage. And so I, I 1031 those and still still managed them and was was able to do that more easily. And then those also appreciated. And so then what I have been doing is the Colorado market is obviously it has skyrocketed in appreciation. But what the downside to that is that that's, it's very volatile. It goes up, it goes down. And I don't want to be caught on the downside of that. And so what I've been doing recently is redeploying my capital in Colorado to out-of-state markets so that I'm in markets that are steadier, they cash flow, and I'm not having the volatile ups and downs. So that's kind of where I went with my single family homes. And then most recently got into multifamily real estate syndication. So those are kind of how I'm progressing. I don't manage any of my properties anymore. I have, uh, obviously when you're out of state, the beauty is you can't manage them really effectively. So I have property managers and I manage the property managers at this point. And let's kind of dive into that a little bit further before we kind of finish up with lifestyle. When you talk about the fact that you've gone through the, the motions of being a landlord and you've, you're honestly experiencing some real estate, um, I guess some real estate asset classes that don't require you to landlord, but even, even with, with single family asset class and you kind of buying properties and you know, managing them yourself, 
what's your opinion as far as when you should start looking to have a property manager and if you should manage these properties yourself? So my opinion is, and this is it. My opinion is that you should, when you're looking to purchase a rental, whatever it be, that you should put into your numbers that you're using to evaluate your deal, you should put in property management. 10%, even though you can obviously negotiate between seven and 10 or whatnot, you should put those into your numbers because even if you decided to manage it yourself, you don't, you could get sick. You could, there could be a lot of things that happen that force you to hire a property manager and you want that to be baked into your numbers. Um, I personally personally feel that most of us are not good at property management. The likelihood is that we do other things well, we have jobs or we have other skill sets. And unless you're in the property management business and it's your skill set and your passion, I suggest pay someone to do that. If, if I did the numbers of how much money I spent managing myself, meaning wasted time, you know, energy, all kinds of things, I would have yielded much better spending that 10% on a property manager. And I think most people probably fall into that category. For sure. I love that. And, you know, just to add to that, I think about the fact that when you do decide that, you know, I want to be a real estate investor, now I need to decide if I want to be a landlord or if I want to be maybe a passive landlord to have a property manager. I think that, yes, you should always, you know, factor in the fact that you want to have that margin already there just in case you do want to eventually have a have a have a property manager. But I think for every individual, it comes down to, I guess, and, and speaking to the subject matter of this podcast, but it comes down to their lifestyle, what type of lifestyle they want to have, what type of lifestyle they're looking to have. And I think that there's a mix between hey, I want to be a landlord for experience. And once I have that experience, once I know what I'm doing and I know how to select a great property manager, I can move on. And now I can focus on what I really want to focus on, which is my lifestyle. How do I put people in place so that I can achieve the lifestyle that I want? You know, that's a, I guess that's a less pen to paper, you know, way of doing things. But I also want people to kind of keep that in mind as they make that decision. So I love that. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. You really have to, it, you do have to, it is helpful to have done something before you hire someone to do that thing. So it is helpful to have that knowledge before you're hiring because hiring the, the property manager is key to your business. So I would agree a hundred percent. That is very helpful. You know, I want you to think about maybe your your best or maybe your most worthwhile investment you've ever made. This has nothing to do with real estate. This can be an investment of money. This can be an investment of time or an investment of energy. What's been one of your, your greatest worthwhile investments that you've made in yourself? In myself. So I am an avid learner in personal development and growing. And so I, I set aside a kind of time and money every year towards my own personal development. And that's really hard for all of us to do, right? We have, we have a lot of things pulling at us. Um, our businesses, our families, uh, our hobbies, all of these things. And it's really easy to put your own growth and development and education kind of at the bottom of that list. But I have found that the more that I put those things as a priority and actually allocate time and money towards them, that they 
you know, it yields 10 times the difference. And a good example is coaching. Coaching is so helpful and so invaluable and it, it's an expense, right? You can find mental mentors and coaches as your friends or colleagues, but you also can pay for those that help and that direction. And I believe that that kind of investing in yourself pays huge dividends. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? So I'm really liking right now Hal Elrod's The Miracle Morning. If you haven't read it, or maybe even reading it again. I instituted this maybe a year ago. His miracle morning, kind of get up early, have this routine, and it's huge. It has impacted me in such a great way. So I highly recommend um, and love uh, that book and would recommend anyone to read it. Nice, nice, nice. Yes, listeners, that is one of the books I think that you guys should read at least once a year. So I love that book. Um, What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. So I have an app. It's called Way of Life app. And it is all, it's, it's very simple, but it's around this idea of habits. And you basically pick either habits that you want to do every day or habits that you want to stop every day every day and it kind of creates a game within yourself because you get it it reminds you to check it off it reminds you to do them and I have found it kind of mentally helpful I whatever your brain does it likes you to not interrupt your behavior when you're like making check marks every day so I have found this that app to kind of be a fun way to play a game with yourself and keep yourself accountable to certain habits I love these these habit accountability apps I think Think that they're really taking off these days. I have to I have to find one. I may even check out the one that you just recommended. So that'll definitely be in the in the show notes for the listeners for you guys to check that out. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? So one of the things I'm really excited about with my lifestyle is I have two two kids. One is about to turn 18 and one is about to turn 20. And my 20 year old has grown. My both my kids have grown up as as I've landlorded and done all of this real estate business. And my 20 year old has developed a passion for real estate. And so we are, he's in college right now and we're kind of devising a plan about how we take what's currently my real estate business to the next level where he can kind of carve out a business for him around real estate to kind of, he sees the value in the wealth creation possibilities. And so I just love love the idea of this family business lifestyle idea where we're, you know, all talking about this thing, real estate that we're passionate about and, and you know, making our dreams come true. So that, that's, that, that's one of the things I'm really excited about. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? I think one of the sacrifices you kind of alluded to earlier is around time and energy, right? We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have limited energy. So whatever we're doing, whether we're 100% focused on our business or we're 
you know, balancing that with a full-time other job or however we're carving out this, this lifestyle that we want, we need to identify time and energy. And sometimes, depending on where what stage you're on, you just have to give it a lot. You have to give it a lot of your time and a lot of your energy to start and to make headway. And those can be sacrifices to, you know, maybe doing something with friends and there's kind of a season where you have to work really hard and get things started and I think those are sacrifices that you need to balance and you know kind of trade-offs that we all need to make. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? You know, I always had this strong desire to learn and grow, like just kind of, I don't know if it's DNA or whatnot, but like I mentioned earlier, my grandma was a was a large influence on me as far as managing her, all of the things she did in, you know, a strong female force kind of making things happen. And seeing that, I think, helped me give me confidence and realize that I could do those things also. So I think she was, she was definitely a big force. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? I think fear, right? Fear, fear is a tough one for all of us. And even when you think you're fearless, when you are doing something new and different, you fear comes into play. You can't even control it. Our brain takes over. Our brain wants to protect us from things that it thinks is going to hurt us. And it thinks new things are a threat. And so our fear comes into play. And I have that. And I'm, I'm sure most people do. And the thing I have found that helps me the most with conquering fear is taking action. Taking It doesn't even have to be huge action. You know, take, you have a plan. I'm going to do these two things to take action on this thing that I have fear about. And somehow that momentum inside of you helps you overcome the fear and helps you get unstuck. I love it. I love it. Love it so much. Stephanie, this has been so much value. I love everything that we talked about. I mean, I have to find some type of a subject line on this on this interview, but I feel like it's going to be something <laughs> in the realms of, you know, just bad tenants and knowing how to overcome that and knowing that, I mean, it's going to, it's all going to be well. Like we, we jump into real estate and a lot of people don't jump in because of some of these fears, but we've talked through your story and we've seen you come out on the other end and the experiences that you've had and how you manage things now because of what you like and what you don't like because of what you've experienced. But that all started because you got started, Stephanie. And a lot of people have resonated with that. And I know they're going to get a lot of value once this episode comes out. So if anybody wants to kind of uh, reach out to you, learn a little bit more about you, find out some of the things you have going on, where can they find some of your information? Uh, my website is newheightsinvestmentgroup.com. And I can be reached directly at Stephanie at New Heights Investment Group. Boom. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a good fit to work with the Before the Millions team, here's what I want you to do next. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. That's beforethemillions.com slash call and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and we'll get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, what is your cash flow goal? How much are you looking to make every month? Number two, your personalized investing strategy. 
And number three, the best way to get started using cash flowing rental real estate. Remember, starting and scaling your real estate investments and business doesn't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We've helped clients all over the world start and scale their investing efforts to six figures and beyond while enjoying life and making the world a better place. To find out if we can help you do the same, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. I'm Dora Lallier, and let's talk soon. 